Welcome to another inspirational message from London Live Church. You're listening to our Sermon of the Week. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. You know, um, I think this is my first live church service pre-lockdown, post-lockdown, pre-lockdown. Yeah, post-lockdown. And the one thing which has remained the same with churches is that when you initially ask a question, no one ever responds in the way that you were hoping. So I'll, maybe, maybe I'll just try again. Good afternoon, everyone. That was better. And, and happy Sabbath to you as well. Um, before I start your message, I have been asked to tell you a little bit about myself. And this is always the time when I cringe because I'm like, oh, what do I say? So I decided to tell you three things that's, you know, outside the general, this is what I do for work, this is where I live, blah, blah, blah. So the first thing I, and there's a prize for whoever remembers all three. Um, the, pri- the prize is my congratulations. So the first thing is that I enjoy to see people just like winning in life, whether it's you know, strangers, friends, whoever it is. If I, if I see you go from point A to point B and point B is just that bit higher, I enjoy seeing, I love seeing that. I love seeing people winning. Second thing which I decided to tell you is that I, I love food. For, for those of you who know me, you may see that my face is a bit chubbier from the last time you saw me. So I, I've been making my way through as much food as possible. And the third thing I want you to know about me is, you know, on the slightly more vulnerable side, I can't watch the Disney film Coco without crying. Those of you who have watched the film will know exactly what I'm on about. And if you haven't, um, borrow someone's Disney Plus subscription. I guarantee, because, you know, we don't pay for these things ourselves, do we? I guarantee that you will enjoy that film and it will be one of your favorite Disney films. So remember those three things. And I want to ask you a question. I want to start with a question. And you don't need to, to answer this out loud, answer this in your head or with your friend or whoever next to you. But have you ever made a bad decision before? Because I can tell from some of your faces that you're maybe thinking about some of the bad decisions which you've made. But each decision, whether good or bad, has varying degrees of consequences. There are some bad decisions which, which I make which have, you know, like little to no consequences. When I was a student, I would often try and study late in the evening and I'd start to get a bit tired. Maybe I'd look at my bed and think, you know what? I'm just going to lie down whilst I read this book preparing for my class tomorrow, knowing that I'm going to fall asleep in 10 minutes. No books have been read. I'm, I'm late behind in my classes. I've got some rushing to, to make up for that. That's a, a bad decision Without a huge consequence, I, you know, I, I, I graduated, so I think that I did okay. But then there are other bad decisions which can have some, I guess, a bit more major consequences. There, there are some bad decisions that when we make them, it, it's almost impossible to reverse the consequence. But I think that there are also some bad decisions which end up with a good consequence. Do, do you mind if I try and prove that to you? Thank, okay, thank you, thank you. At least there are three people in the front. So how many, how many of you have, are uh, like Marvel, like watching the Marvel films? 
yeah. So spoiler alert, I'm about to talk about Endgame. If you haven't watched it by now, it's kind of your fault. Now, everyone knows or should be aware of the character Iron Man, Tony Stark, same person. For, what, like 10, 15 years of Marvel films, everything has been building up to this, to this one final movie in phase, phase four. Phase three? Anyway, the phase isn't important. Everything has been building up to this, at the end of this movie. Before this, Tony Stark, he's gone on a character journey. He starts off by being this arrogant billionaire who only has his, his own interests at heart. Now, by the time in Endgame, he's got, a, he's got a wife and a small child. So he's got people who love him that he has to look after. But now he's faced with a choice as he has to try and defeat Thanos. It's either take the gauntlet, say, I am Iron Man, click, you know, Thanos, Thanos he, he gets destroyed and, the, and he wins at the end. Or maybe he can try and fight in a different way and still keep alive, still keep with his, his family, his wife, his daughter, and, you know, live happily ever after until the next film. But his bad choice, which was, I guess, bad for his family, had a good consequence in that he saved the rest of the characters in the MCU, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, for those of you who aren't keeping up. So, in a way, his bad choice had a, a good consequence. Maybe there's one or two faces who aren't quite, who don't quite look like they, they're fully convinced, but we can speak after. But it's interesting with the decisions which we make when the pressure is kind of on. The, some of us thrive under pressure. Some of us may crumble. But it's always interesting the, 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 the kind of thought process which we go through. I'll give a bit more background onto our main character for the sermon, Hagar, but imagine the point where we meet Hagar in the, in, in, in the story, kind of what we picked up from the, from the scripture reading. Hagar is a woman who ran out into the wilderness, away from people who were, who were mistreating her, while she's pregnant. No food, no water, no contingency plan for how to survive. Does that sound like a, a good decision or a bad decision? It, some, well, one say good, the rest bad. Personally, I think it's a bad decision. To run out into a wilderness, in the desert, into a, a place where there's no, no real chance of survival. But somehow through this bad decision she, ta she takes to run away, a good consequence comes out, not just for her, but for the child which she is carrying. But for us to get that a bit better, we need to go back a bit and be, I guess, reintroduced to Hagar. Now, in Genesis chapter 16, when we, the first time we meet Hagar, she's introduced as an Egyptian, as a, as a slave, meaning wherever she is right now, that's not her original home. She, she doesn't have her friends, her family around her. The only people who she knows are the ones who own her. Even to the point where her name, Hagar, it kind of like means that thing, or like possession. She, she's not really, she doesn't have her own autonomy. As a slave, she wouldn't have her own thoughts. She couldn't go through her, her own schedule. She couldn't spend her, her days watching Marvel and Disney Plus like sometimes I do. 
She's well and truly an enslaved girl taken from her home in Egypt. Those of you who are familiar with the story of, of Abraham and Sarah will know that Hagar belonged to Sarah or Sarai, Abraham's wife. This was like her personal slave, right? one of her maids. Now, further down in Genesis, God had previously promised to Sarah that you will have a child someday and you, know, you, and, you and Abraham will become the parents of a great nation. Now, a bit of time had passed and maybe Sarah starts to think, I'm not quite sure if God knows what he's talking about here, so I've got a plan which is better than what God told me. In Genesis chapter 16 from verse, verse 2, the Bible says, well, I'll, I'll read from verse 1. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, bore him no children. She had an Egyptian slave girl whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abraham, you see that the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my slave girl. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And like a good husband, the Bible says that, and Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. <laughs> my eyes aren't quite what they used to be. I was squinting so hard then. But Sarah, she, she has this great idea that Hagar will now, instead of, you know, Sarah being the one to, to be praying and, and to give birth to this child, that Hagar is going to be the person who fulfills this promise. Now, I don't know if any of you have read it or picked up on it, but at no point in this story is Hagar consulted on this. Abraham nor Sarah thought to you, does Hagar even want children? Does Hagar want children with Abraham? Does Hagar even want to be around us in this place? But nobody really consults her, thinks about her, or in, another, in other words, no one really saw Hagar. Maybe they just saw her as, as a fertile woman. They just saw her as, as, as a womb, a spare womb. They saw her just as someone who can carry this child of promise. But no one truly saw Hagar. The Bible makes its way through the story and the, the, the deed is done and, and, and Hagar becomes pregnant. You know, joy, um, for, for the kind of laws and the rules in that time, this wouldn't be considered as Hagar's son, but in fact Sarah's, because Sarah is the owner of Hagar. As the Bible goes throughout the story, and I'm just summarizing so we have as much background as possible, Sarah then becomes jealous of Hagar. Maybe because, you know, being able to have children was so important and, and in that time it would place you on a higher plane in society. Yes, Sarah had money. Yes, she had a, a good husband. She had land. She had all the things which, which she had. But then becomes jealous because Hagar has the one thing which she can't give to her husband herself, his child. And then as it goes a bit further, the, Sarah gets so jealous that she starts to mistreat Hagar. Not just to mistreat, if you were going to use, the, the Bible kind of downplays what Sarah would do to Hagar. The, a better word or a better way to describe it would to be, she became Hagar's oppressor. She 
would beat Hagar. She would mistreat her to the point where Hagar thought in her mind, it makes more sense for me to run away into the wilderness than to stay here under these two people. Still, nobody really sees Hagar. They just see her as an object, their possession, their, 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 their surrogate mother to the promised child, to Abraham and Sarah. As, I'm re- as I was reading through the story, I was starting to think of the times maybe in our lives where we haven't quite been as seen as we wanted to. You know, maybe it's either at work when we're, we're working so hard, we're, we're hoping to get a raise and it's time for our appraisals, but then the, your, your manager's words and reflections on your performance doesn't quite match up with what you're doing. They haven't truly really seen the effort which you've put in over that past year. It could be those of you in, in different kind of relationships, you could be going through a, a, a small phase right now where you don't quite feel seen by your partner. I remember I was watching, a lot of these stories seem to be about things I was watching, but you know, um, COVID happened last year, so we had a lot of time for, for Netflix and stuff. Um, I was watching Black Mirror, and there's a, a particular episode, just, just a particular scene in an episode, where I, I, I can't remember the, 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 the husband's name, but he, his wife, Theo, they were sat down in a diner, and they were having a, a back and forth conversation where... The wife Theo felt as though there was a bit of a disconnect between, it, like, which had come in their relationship. Um, her, her boyfriend or her husband, he had been up late playing various games, Xbox, PS5, and all that. So it kind of brought a, a strain in their relationship. And her complaint wasn't that she felt, well, her, her complaint was that he doesn't really see her. You know, she, she complained about, no touch on the shoulder, touch on the back, kiss on the cheek before you leave to work. or These little things which would make her feel seen or valued in that relationship. See, being seen is one of the things which, I, I don't know how many of you are familiar with Brene Brown. She's a kind of like a therapist, a researcher, researches about, about shame, connection, and, and, and all that good stuff. So she says that being seen, valued, and understood are three of the, like, the most core things which every human needs in some way, shape, or form. So that when there's a disconnect between you and another person, it usually boils down to one of those three things. Either you're not being understood, you're, you're not being seen, or you don't feel as though you've been valued. And, I, and as I was thinking about the, these words or these books from Brene Brown, I, I began to see Hagar more clearly in this story. See, if we remember that, how, just how disjointed she would feel, how displaced she would be in, in this life where she's not just foreign to the current tribe where she was in, she's an Egyptian, the Abraham and Sarah then go and become Israelites. Not only is she just outside of the, the current tribe or, or the ethnic background, she's also a slave. She's also effectively now become a single mother. She runs out into the desert to, to just escape from her oppression. She would really be, or for, how, for however long she's been under the, 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 the care of, of Sarah and Abraham, 
it doesn't seem like she's ever really truly been seen, been heard, or been valued. And then that leads us down into where we find Hagar from our scripture reading. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. The spring on the way to Shur, and this location would be kind of on the border of Egypt. So I imagine that she's traveled quite a long way by foot with no food, no water, just to figure out how to survive. And the angel of the Lord said, Hagar, slave girl of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? You know, this is the first time in this account, in this recital of, of Sarah, Abraham, and Hagar, Hagar's life, that someone actually sees Hagar as a person, that someone actually speaks to Hagar, that someone consults her. Yes, the angel of the Lord, he, by, by, calling, by calling Hagar the, the slave of Sarah, he must already have some background information and knowledge on just who she is. So the question of where are you, why are you here, and where are you going, it's not a question so much for the angel of the Lord to understand a bit more, but so that Hagar is finally given a voice, so that Hagar is finally seen as a person, so that Hagar is finally feels seen. See, this question of Hagar, where, why are you here, and, and where are you going, it's not just a simple question about location, but really when you, you dig down into it, God is asking Hagar to, what's happened in your past and, and where's that going to lead you in your future? You know, what things has, have happened to you before you got to this point? And just where is that going to lead you? Imagine Hagar being in this hopeless place in the desert, in, in the wilderness, having this, this, this wild thought of, of God himself speaking to her and asking her these questions about her life that someone who's been so displaced, so pushed to the side and, and so marginalized now gets to have a, a conversation with the God of heaven, is now being able to be seen by, I guess, the ultimate power, the ultimate source. As imagine in Hagar's confusion at, at this moment or surprise at this moment where She's thinking back to the days where she's been beaten and mistreated by Sarah. She's been displaced from her people in Egypt, and maybe she would have been praying to, to the gods which she was familiar with. You know, Ra, the sun god, Isis, Horus, and all, all these different gods, and all this time where she was praying and searching for a way out before she ran away. And there was no solution. There, were, there was no callback. There was no hearback from these gods which she was previously praying to. But now all of a sudden, this, this strange god of heaven swoops down on her and sees her as a person and asks her, where have you come from and where are you going? See, in Hagar's answer, it seems as though she, she has no idea where she was going because she, she's able to say where she's come from. She says that she is running away from, from her mistress, Sarah, but she has no indication of where she's going, has no future, no hope. She's out in the wild. No food, no water. What is she going to do? 
We see this bad choice from her getting up and running away out into the wilderness. It begins to have a good consequence. See, while she was running away to, to a place of no hope, it's in this zone, it's in this space of, of desperation where God turns a hopeless situation into one which is hopeful. See, Hagar, she entered the, 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 the desert, she entered this place as someone who's a victim, someone who had been beaten, someone who had been downtrodden, someone who had been, someone who had been outcast. But God says to her in verse 9, says, this is in Genesis chapter 16, verse 9. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will so greatly multiply your offspring that they cannot be counted for multitudes. And the angel of the Lord said to her, now you have conceived and shall bear a son. You should call him Ishmael, for the Lord has given heed to your affliction. So I just want you to imagine or position yourself as Hagar. There's either been some experience at some point in your life where you have either been physically or metaphorically running from a situation. You're at your absolute rock bottom, low, no way out, like you're you're just chained and bound and can't move an inch. But all of a sudden, God tells you specifically You're not in any general terms that everything's going to be okay. That, and as crazy as this sounds, go back to the place which was causing you you this distress. Go back to the place where where you were sad, where you were hurt, when you were beaten. And I got to say, in my finite wisdom, it's not advice which I would ever give to someone in that situation. But she's able to leave with the promise that God is going to sort everything out, that God has got her back. She, as I said before, she entered into the desert. She entered into the wilderness as someone without hope. She entered into the wilderness as someone who was merely just a slave. She entered into the wilderness as someone who had nothing to hope for, but, but that she would stumble, I guess, across some water or some food in the desert. But what she left with, she left with a promise not just from anyone, not just from me, because I got to admit, I, I break my promises a lot. I try not to, but it happens. But she's leaving with a promise from the God of heaven. And not just any general, you know, it's all going to be okay in, in the end. She's actually given a promise that the child which she is carrying, that's going to be the leader of a great nation one day. So in order for that to happen, Hagar, she's going to have to survive. Her son Ishmael, He's going to have to survive. So whatever she's going to go through in life after that point, she goes through it through with the knowledge that God has got me, that everything is going to be okay. She, she approaches with, the, with the, 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 the comfort and the security that the most powerful force in the universe is watching over her. That the most powerful force in the universe is not just watching her from, from, from afar, but is walking side by side with her that the most powerful being in the universe has given this, this hopeless woman one of the most secure promises which we find throughout the Bible. And I want you to, to walk and think with the same confidence that Hagar has had. 
um, we know through you know, different psalms or different verses in the Bible, we, we all have our, va- our favorite Bible verse, our favorite promise, whether it's, uh, you know, I will, when God says, you know, I will never suffer your foot to be moved, I, I won't let any hair on your head be harmed, and all these, all these different promises, whichever your favorite promise is, I want you to be able to walk in that with the same confidence which Hagar would have. The same confidence which Ishmael would have where maybe as Ishmael's growing up and, you know, these parts aren't in the Bible, it's just my, my own imagination. Maybe when Ishmael's growing up and he, he gets into fights at school or, he's, or his horse or his camels or whatever, they, they would drive it back in those days where they, they would get stolen. He knows that everything's going to be okay. Whether... You know, Sarah Hagar could fall down from a cliff and break all her ankle, break her ankles, break both legs, break both arms, but she still has the promise from God that everything is going to be good, that everything is going to be okay. She get into worse situations than what she's in right now in this present time, but she has the promise from God, not just that everything will be okay, but that you will survive, that I am watching over you. She entered into the desert as as uh, as a victim, but she's able to leave as a survivor. And just in the last few verses, just I guess as we begin to wrap up over, over the next few minutes, Hagar has this unique experience with God. If you read throughout the Bible, especially the Old Testament, like Genesis, Exodus, and all these things, you see several times where someone has an experience, an encounter with God, and, decide, or, and God renames them. He, he changes their name. Abraham and Sarai, as we know at this current stage in Genesis, the later their names are changed to Abraham and Sarah to it's reflect this new experience which they've had with God. Uh, Jacob, Jacob's name, which, Jacob, which comes a bit later, his name is then changed to Israel to signify a change which has happened in his life. In the New Testament, when Simon Peter, Jesus changes his name to, you know, just Peter, again to reflect this unique experience, this unique bond which they now have. Because I, actually, let's go for Candace. I remember her name. Yeah, there you go. So, Candace, imagine if someone who you don't know comes and tries to call you a different name. Maybe you've just met them and they try and shorten it to just days. How, how do you feel at that moment? Not good. Say, so you don't give people, you don't give people permission. To, for, why, why? Why don't you give people permission? Exactly. Like that. There's no relationship there. There's no connection there. So no one who, who doesn't know you should re, really be allowed to change and shorten your name or, and to, to just kind of disrespect your name in a way. Have you ever introduced yourself to someone and you're like, oh, oh my name's Troy. And they're like, ah, oh, can I call you T? It's like, no, you can't. All right, call me Troy. But it's not until there's some form of significant relationship or significant question, um, connection that names can be changed because they're, they're so valuable to you. So think of the kind of connection which Jesus or God would have to have with these people for him to say, you know what, now I'm going to rename you. But Hagar's experience with God is, is different. She has, in fact, the exact 
reverse, the exact opposite. She, in fact, names God. There's no other person in this Bible who had this honor or this privilege of naming God. See, after God gives her this promise, gives her this hope, turns her from a a victim to someone who will survive, and not just survive, but also thrive in this life. The Bible says that Hagar called her El Raoi. What does this mean? It means the God who sees. Because she said, have I truly seen God and remained alive after seeing him? Have I really seen the God who sees? See, Hagar's confidence in God at this point, it's not just because he's heard her. She's cried, she spoke out, she's called aloud all, all in the wild, but it's, it's this wild thought that she's actually seeing God or God also sees her. Meaning that the times where Sarah was beating her and mistreating her, God not only just saw her pain, or heard her pain, but God saw her pain. God didn't just hear her in the wilderness. He saw her in the wilderness. God didn't just hear Hagar in the worst moment of her life, but he truly saw Hagar for who she is. But God made her more than just a slave, more than this Egyptian, more than just a, a spare womb for Abraham and Sarah to use. But God gave her the promise that now, Hagar, my child, my daughter, I will also make you the leader of a great nation. Whatever you go through from this day forth, go through with the confidence that I have got your back, that I've seen your past, but I've also designed your future. My wish and my prayer is that we also have this similar, I guess the positive side of the experience which Hagar had with God that despite the different points we're at in our lives right now, you could be on the ascendancy, on the up and up, or you could be here at your lowest, at your rock bottom, just barely be able to, to put on a, a smile on your face to say happy Sabbath. And yes, that's for you watching and listening at home as well. You could be going through a high time or a low time right now, wondering if anyone truly sees you, if anyone hears you, anyone cares about you but know that there's a God in heaven who sees you who hears you and I believe that we as our people if we're to as God's people if we're to to truly show what God is like in the world we also have to be ears which hear and eyes which see people as well remember as I said Brene Brown she said that feeling seen valued and understood are three of the most basic human needs, which every single person has. Everyone listening and watching this today, you can be one of those things to someone. Don't have to do it to every single person you meet. But just think and pick one person in your life who you can strive to see a bit better, to, to understand them a bit more. Maybe instead of speaking first, you just take the chance to listen. 
and to truly understand who and what they are at their core. And I can truly believe that you'll be doing God's work by doing this. Amen. This is the end of this broadcast. We hope you've been encouraged and inspired. For more information, please visit LondonLiveChurch.com. Thank you.